0: Let's continue to worship as we turn to Luke chapter 10. We return this morning to finish our two-part message through the parable of the Good Samaritan. Last time we said that for many it is their favorite parable of Jesus. We laughed at the fact, or at least I did, I don't know how many of you got the joke that Margaret Thatcher once said, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions, he had money as well. And while that's humorous, it challenges us as to why is the parable of the Good Samaritan so well remembered and so loved? It's way more than it's good to help folks in need. Some, in fact, do nothing more than turn this parable into a story about our moral obligation. Just go do more good stuff. (laughs) And that is in no way what Jesus would have us take away from this parable, primarily, nor solely. So let us return to this most endearing and well-remembered of Jesus' parables and continue to dig in and mine the riches of this greatest of stories. The last time we looked at the dialogue, and this morning we're going to look at the parable itself. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. I'll start in 29, because we'll go back and review 25 to 28. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The word of God to the people of God, preaching the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. And Father, we are ultimately dependent on you. We acknowledge, Father, that there is no way, Father, that we can understand your word without the guidance of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit and we pray Father that you would fill each and every one of us with your Spirit now Father we thank you that we stand on holy ground because where two or three are gathered Jesus is here with us and Father we so look forward to the day when we see him face to face when he comes to get his saints and so Father we pray for that return even now But Father if he does not come back we pray that you would just give us the wisdom that only you can give to understand your word, that Father, we can take this parable and go out and apply it to our lives, Father, that we can look more like Christ in a world that desperately needs it. It's in Jesus' precious and wonderful and holy and righteous name that we pray. Amen. So, first, a little context. If you weren't here last week or you just need the refresher, before we dive into the parable, we're going to go back and review from last week, so look back to verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So remember we said the lawyer's question. It was a great question, but it was bad theology. He should have known that Abraham, in Genesis 15, 16, believed the Lord, and it was counted to him uh, righteousness. And so you don't do anything to inherit eternal life. You have faith. You believe. That's simply it. And so he had bad theology, but he had an even worse motive. The word there, put to the test, means to basically uh, want to destroy. And so he had zero interest in the truth. He just wanted to destroy Jesus. And so, verse 26, he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus replied, takes him to the law. We talked about that the law is a tutor, it's a yardstick, it's a mirror, it's not a savior. You ladies, if you look in the mirror and see there's dirt on your face, or you fellas see that you got a big long hair coming out of your ear, you don't then try to remove the dirt, remove the hair by washing your face in the mirror. The law does nothing to save us, but what it does do is it shows us our guilt before God, stops us from justifying ourselves like this lawyer is trying to do. It leaves us helpless before God, stops every mouth, and should drive us to the Savior. And so then look at verse 27. And he, the lawyer, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So ask yourself, have you ever done that? Maybe you're better than me, but I haven't. And this lawyer knew that his stony hard heart had never, ever done that. Because look at verse 29. He's still trying to argue with Jesus, desiring to justify himself. So we said he gets an A-plus on book knowledge and an F-minus on heart knowledge. And So look at verse 28. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So Jesus commends his answer and then basically embarrassingly tells him, go practice what you preach. Because the promise of the law was do and live, but the caution of the law was wholehearted compliance was required. And so what this guy should have said is, Jesus, this is how I read it, but that is impossible. Let me throw myself at your mercy. And we don't see him doing that. Look at verse 29. He desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The only way to fulfill the law's demands are to limit them. We jokingly said, only way Buffy Cook is going to dunk the basketball is to lower it down to seven feet and dunk it. You're not going to see me dunking on Kevin Durant. It just isn't going to happen. And so what we do is we take God's standard and we lower it down and we dunk on the go and we think we're doing a good job and that's what this lawyer basically was doing. Because to him, neighbor was his own race and his own faith community, good little Jews like himself. And so we finished up and said, did Jesus miss an opportunity? Boom, the gospel, where's that? Jesus did not miss an opportunity. As Alistair Begg said, it's possible to correct this lawyer's theology and not convert his soul. That might have ring in a lot of us ears. His greatest need was What? to be knocked down a peg or two to be humbled, and so I said Jesus said basically here's a fat head he needs to be humble and I'm going to bust his eye balloon so he tells him the definite deficit in his theology that salvation is not earned that neighbors are not just good little Jews like yourself by touching his conscience through the telling of a story in which he is a chief actor, it's simply brilliant and so the parable is told in response to what a and who is my neighbor? So now Jesus is going to give us the parable itself. So we're going to look at the parable, and that is the scene and the actors. So look verse 31st. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Many of you may know that Jerusalem to Jericho is a, a 17 mile road, it drops 3,000 feet. Uh, it was very, very dangerous. Then, and it still is today, it had narrow rocky passages and caves and it was a happy hunting ground of thieves. In the 5th century, Jerome called it the bloody way. In the 19th century, it was necessary to pay safety money to the sheiks before they would even uh, travel you through it. And in the 1930s, the travel writer H.V. Morton said, if you're on this road, you better get home before dark. So everyone listening to this story knew the dangers and knew them all too well this would be their worst nightmare come true i thought it would be kind of like us if we decided to go down to wolf chase mall and do some christmas shopping and then there's a shooting in which someone gets shot and so what we have to think of what we don't understand is that jericho had a high concentration of temple workers and so this road was used frequently to go from jericho where they live to Jerusalem to serve at the temple and then come back from the temple back home to Jericho. And so let me ask you, if you were traveling that road all the time and you're a priest and you knew how dangerous it was, wouldn't you think that the Jewish establishment would want to make it a little more less dangerous to travel? I love what Dr. Wearsby said. He said this, it's much easier to maintain a religious system than it is to improve the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Take Fraser Park, the sub, Orange Mount. Are we more worried about maintaining a religious system or actually doing something to improve the neighborhood? So that's the scene. Let's look at the characters. The first character that we come across is a traveler. Look at verse 30 again. Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's a bad day at the office, Amen. Notice what Jesus says. A man. That's all the information He gives us. Nothing else. We don't know if He's a Jew. We don't know if He's a Roman. We don't know if He's a Samaritan. You know why? Because it does not matter. It doesn't matter. He's simply a man. Now the implication is that He's a fellow Jew. And He fell among robbers. Maybe some in the audience thought this. Well, what an idiot. (laughs) Who travels that road alone? I mean, he's just a sitting duck. He has no one to blame but himself. You ever heard Christians say stuff like that? You notice what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't lay any blame. This is a man who needs someone to show him compassion and meet real needs because he's laying half dead in a ditch. And what a lesson this is for us. Take the abortion-minded teen. Well, now you know if She just wouldn't have been doing this and wouldn't have been doing that and she wouldn't be in this situation. How about we have real compassion and meet a real need? Or a suicidal drug addict. Well, you know, if he wasn't strung out on drugs all these years, he wouldn't be in this situation that he's in. That is true, but he doesn't need a theology lecture right now. He needs help. He wants to kill himself. Or how about a welfare-dependent mom? Or how about the Christian leader who commits a big sin? and you'll appreciate this, a man from China who was converted to Christ told this story, and this is the exact image of what Jesus does for us, an exact image of what Jesus is saying this man needs. And so he told this story that a man fell into a dark, slimy pit and tried to climb out and he couldn't. And so Confucius came by and he said, well, poor fella, had he listened to me, he never would have gotten in there. Buddha came by and said, poor fella, if you'll come on up here, I'll help him. This sounds just like Christian people. And then he said, Jesus Christ came by and said, poor fellow, and he jumped down into the pit with him and lifted him out.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. That's what our Lord does. That's what our Lord did to me. That's what our Lord did to you. And that's what we should do to others. Amen? Mm -hmm. This guy don't need a lecture. He needs love and compassion and practical help. Because look at what it says. He fell among robbers. Mm -hmm. S. He's outnumbered. And look at what it says they did. They stripped him. They beat him. They left him half dead. We would say he was in the med ICU. He's in the med trauma ICU. You got that picture in your mind? That's how bad he is. He's half dead, clinging to life. Now imagine the Pharisees and the lawyers. They're probably saying, well, that sounds about right. It's probably a tax collector or some Samaritan or Gentile that beat him up and left him there half dead. Is Jesus interested in any of that? He wants to say, this guy is your neighbor, and are you going to be a neighbor to him? So who's going to respond to this man? So before we get to the priest and the Levite, we've got to understand a little bit of historical context. And that's this, priests and Levites had a very high status in God's community of people at that time, right? Right? Their clothes, their lifestyle, their general persona were looked to by the general population. They were commended as people of exemplary piety. Remember, they, Jesus says, oh, y'all tithe even your basil out of your garden. That's how ridiculous y'all are. And so they were very regarded. They were held in high esteem. Anything they did, action-wise, was seen as self-righteous. Common folk would not look at them and question them. Whatever they did, it had to be righteous. And so guess how they became accustomed to being assessed or graded? Based simply on their clothing, based simply on who I am, that I am a priest. Does any of this sound familiar? They were not looked at based on performance. And the classic example, turn to Philippians chapter 3, is Paul. What did Paul say in Philippians 3, 4 and 5? If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And so don't you think this lawyer is probably saying that same thing in his mind? He's sitting there with his big phylactery and his big old prayer shawl and his nice priestly clothes, And he thinks that he's got it all together and no one's going to question him because he's where he is and all that. No one looks at him and says, you need to be judged based on what you actually do. And so they wrote literature such as this. If you do good, know to whom you do it. Give to the one who is good. Do not help the sinner. Well, that sounds like something that God would be proud of. Amen? Wrong. And so, this lawyer is praying that Jesus' list of who is my neighbor is what? Very short. And there's no one on it that I don't like. And so, look at verse 31. The priest. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Let me just give you a little visual illustration of that. Okay? Let's say that Caleb is the man that is half dead. Okay, so she's playing the part there. And so the priest sees the man over there, sees that he's possibly dead. Maybe he sees that he's taking very little breaths. He looks half dead. He doesn't even bother getting close to him. And he gets way over here. He doesn't just keep walking. He gets way out of the way and passes by on the other side. Yeah, got his blinders on. I don't see anything. Nothing happening here, people. Keep moving, keep moving. So, notice a couple of things here. Let's ask some who, what, when, where, why questions. Who is this guy? A priest. You know what that means? He's God's servant. And what has God called us to do? Serve. Serve. What is this man in need? He needs somebody to serve him. And what does he do? He walks all the way to the other side of the street. And so, where he's going down that road? Which road? The one from Jerusalem to Jericho. Keep that in mind that he's going Jerusalem to Jericho. It's going to be important in a minute. And so, he's going down that road, and a man's laying there half dead, fighting for his life. When? He's going Jerusalem to Jericho, so he would have just gotten off of duty at the temple in Jerusalem, aka this. He just left church. You got that in your mind? What? When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now we can sit and come up with reasons till the cows come home as far as why he did so. But here we got God's servant who just left church and he transgresses the entire second table of the law. Y'all know what the tables of the law are? The law, the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with our vertical relationship with God and the next six that's the second table deal with our relationship with fellow people. And so he transgresses the whole second table of the law in one fell swoop. Well why? Well maybe he's afraid of thieves. Because what they would sometimes do is they would have one of their own lay like they're in the street, half dead, and then when somebody comes over go, well what's wrong with this guy? They would club him in the head and steal all of his stuff. So sometimes they did use decoys. So maybe this priest's priest motto was safety first. <laughs> and is that not an idol in the church today?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, aren't you afraid
0: to go to Africa? And so man, when we start talking about going to Africa, there's this many people that want to go. And by the time we have the first meeting, it's down to this. And by the time we say you actually got to pay some money, then it's down to this. But the point being, you know what really keeps that shrinking in number? Is safety. Well, well, aren't you afraid to go? Did y'all see my Facebook post about uh, Memphis? I mean, we got some work to do. We dropped from number 2 to number 3 as far as the most dangerous cities in America. I tell people, I live 30 minutes away from the second most dangerous city in America. Do you think I'm afraid to go to Africa? And as I said, I would rather die over there and being obedient to the Lord than to sit here and live to be 105 disobedient to the Lord.
1: Amen.
0: But we have safety as an idol. And this guy probably has safety as an idol, man. I'm not going over there. Might be a decoy. And so on he goes. Second defilement. He says, Well, I I'm a priest. I can't touch the dead. You're probably going off duty, dude. It doesn't matter. You're not going to be back at the temple for two weeks. you got a week to get unclean. And how about this? Since when did ceremony trump compassion? But isn't that what regularly happened? Jesus has a woman. One of my favorite stories, we'll get there eventually. It might be another year, but we'll get there eventually. You remember the lady that's been over double? Noah probably remembers this story because when I preached it at Liberty, I probably scared those people to death. They didn't know sure that I was a button Bad the Pentecostal preacher. And I said, this woman been bent over for 40, 50 years with a disabling spirit, and Jesus heals her in the synagogue. Y'all remember this? And what happens? The church leaders are irate. How dare you show some compassion on Sunday in church? Oh the horror! And I said, you know what I bet that woman did the first moment that when Jesus said, you're healed, and she stood up? I said, she took off running and ran out the door and threw open the door and looked up at the sun because she hadn't seen the sun in 40 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I thought those people were going to fall out dead when I ran halfway down the <laughs> <my> aisle. <altar. laughs> <laughs> Do we do the same today? Well, now, I can't get involved because it might mess up my church clothes. I got on my suit and tie. I'm not going to get them bloody. The Lord will understand if I don't get my suit and tie bloody. No, He won't. He'll give you a new suit and tie. How about involvement? Who's my neighbor? Well, they thought it was only a certain group of people. Don't we think that? Well, I'm not going to help those black people. I've heard... heard, Patients tell me, well, I don't want none of my money going to ragheads. Well, praise God that he thinks of America enough to send a pastor to share the gospel with you. Well, maybe time constraints. I mean, he's been at the temple all week. He just wants to get home. Now, imagine this conversation. He comes home. Well, honey, how was your week at the temple? Well, it was great until I just saw this dude laying half dead in a ditch on the way home. Well, what did you do, honey? Well, now I just came on home and passed him by because, you know, we got that dinner here tonight. And, you know, I've been at work all week and this and that. And I got to go get groceries and I got to cut the yard. Can you imagine what his wife would have said? You left a man laying half dead in the ditch because you didn't have enough time. Most importantly, what would God have said? When you have to stand before a three time holy God and say, God, the reason I didn't stop was because I didn't have enough time. What have I said? The best way to spell love? T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. How many folks has Buffy Cook passed by in need because I was too busy? Sometimes in the middle of seeing patience, I go, I just think I'm 30 minutes behind, and I just don't have time to share the gospel with this guy. Shame on me. Shame on us. Here's the biggie. You know what Jesus ain't concerned with? Motives. You know why? Because He don't give any. Y'all have heard me say an excuse is what? Skin of reason, stuffed with a lie. This guy knows better. He's in the helping profession. He's supposed to smell like sheep. BT dubs don't trust a pastor who doesn't smell like sheep. Amen? He represents the height of piety. He's reading Scripture all the time. He just left church. And in here he's doing nothing about it. And here's the biggest thing. You know what you and I are today? God's servants. I'm not servant just because I'm the pastor. Y'all are the servants too. And you know what we do? We have frequent contact with the Scriptures. And you know what we do? We leave church. we got Bibles on every shelf. We hear this stuff Sunday after Sunday. And you know what we do? We pass by on the other side. Shame on him, but shame on us. Look at verse 32. So likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. This guy is also a religious leader. He's basically the priest's assistant. He was responsible for the less important task at the temple like the liturgy and policing. I mean, they even, even then they had church fights. The Greek word here is this. So, here's Kayla. Let her play dead again. So, he at least goes and
1: kind of keeps on going. He at least gets
0: a little bit closer to the guy and looks at him before he heads on to the other side. So what is his motive for doing that? Jesus doesn't give one. You know why? Because he doesn't give a hill of beans what his excuse is. I jokingly put in my notes, why did the Levite cross the road? Get away. To break the entire second table of the law. Think about this. Is there such a thing as passive murder? That'll make you raise your eyebrows, won't it? What's active murder? That's if I pull out a gun and shoot somebody, J-Rod's going to come and arrest me. What if I see someone who is almost dead and if I don't do something about it, they're going to die? Is that not really passive murder? Yes. <coughs> One pastor said, involvement with problem people often entangles us in embarrassing, difficult, and even dangerous situations. Maybe this guy skipped Theology 2 class that day. Maybe he failed the Minor Prophets exam that month. Problem was that this was the attitude of the whole entire religious leadership of Jesus' day. All right, so the next character actually isn't a character. Look at verse 33, it says, But A. The other character I want you to think about is the audience. Look back at verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. What did I say? Since he stood up, then Jesus is what? In an official teaching session. So there's other people that are there. There's an audience. This is not Nick at night. Jesus and Nicodemus having a private conversation late at night. This is Jesus and a lawyer going toe to toe in front of a crowd. This is Jesus telling a parable which functions like our jokes. What does a joke turn on? A punchline, a twist. And so here's the audience likely reaction and expectation. Jesus is telling this and they're nodding and they're smiling and they're giggling and punching their buddy. Says sounds about right, priest and Levite are good for nothings. This is what we would say today. Sounds about right, it was probably a pastor and a deacon. You know that you know how church is, it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. So their expectation is that pious Judaism has had two strikes and struck out. And so what Jesus is going to say is, but a layman, an Israelite layman came by. Let me give you an R vernacular today. It would be a Southern Baptist pastor came by and he passed by on the other side of the road. And then a Catholic priest came by and he passed by on the other side of the road. But then an atheist actually helped the guy. Because the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. You see? Now we're understanding this a little bit better, right? And so they're expecting as soon as Jesus says that it's an Israelite layman, they're going to jump to their feet and clap because they don't like priests and Levites anyway because they understand that they're a bunch of hypocrites. So look at what he does say. Verse 33 to 35, our last character that he introduces is a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So their expectation was Jesus to say, But an Israelite layman, and what does Jesus say? but a Samaritan can you imagine that you think that shocked them you think that made them angry it was devastating because they actually would pray to God that God wouldn't even remember Samaritans in the resurrection they hated Samaritans but look at what it says it's a Samaritan who came to where he was and saw him and had compassion We've talked about that Greek word, compassion. It means literally to feel it in your gut. You ever heard something about somebody and it just knocked the breath out of you? That's what it's talking about. He sees this man. It's like the breath is knocked out of him. He's just yearning in his gut and his bowels to do something to help this man. It's a word that's used of Jesus frequently. You remember when he raises the widow's son at Nan? It says, and he saw her, he looked at her, and he had compassion. The same sense. And so look at what he did. Well, let me tell you this first. Verses 30 to 33 is 56 words in which we hear about the priest and the Levite. Simply what the Samaritan does is 50 words. Who do you think the emphasis is on? The one that shows compassion and look at the compassion he showed first he went to him he touched him he checked his pulse see if he's still alive and you know what he didn't have as an idol safety cause he risked this guy being a decoy cause he's obviously a dude of some means and got some money if he can go and pay this much that he's gonna pay as we'll see in a minute he got involved then he bound up his wounds. He took his own clothes, probably his head cloth and his linen under uh, garment, and he tore them up and bound his wounds. Well, I don't want to get blood on my suit and tie. He didn't care about it. He took his suit and his tie and he tore it up and bound the guy's wounds. And then he poured on oil and wine. Oil would soothe and it would ease pain and wine was a, a disinfectant. And then he set him, in, set him on his own animal. Now, can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine, A, trying to get a donkey to be still?
1: Right.
0: Now, can you imagine trying to get this guy who probably weighed, let's say, at minimal 150 pounds, lifted up and onto his donkey? That was a chore, was it not? You think he got it right the first time? You think his back probably hurt a little bit afterwards? You see to get involved it's costly it it hurts. And you know what it means when he didn't put him on his animal you know what he had to do? He had to walk. And so look at what it says in he brought him to an end. How do you spell love? T I M E. The one commodity he couldn't get back and he took care of him. He undressed him, bathed him, clothed him, watched him through the night. He didn't just dump and run. And the next day, he provided for him financially. Two denarii may not sound like a lot, but uh, in calculation, that's 24 days worth of him staying at the inn. If it was a... In today's illustration, get this in your head, if it were $50 a night hotel, it would be $1,200. And if it was $75 per night hotel, it would be $1,800. Love is costly. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to this, why did the Samaritan help? Who cares? Mercy and love don't need reasons. They see a man half dead in a ditch. And mercy doesn't need reasons to jump in and start helping. How did he get there? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. He needs help. Is it a trap? I don't know. This man needs help. And if I don't help him, he's going to die. Is it going to be easy to get him up on that donkey and take him? I don't know, but I'm going to try. Even if I have to do it by myself. You see, this lawyer could talk all he wanted with his lips about how much he loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. But you know what the Samaritan did? He proved it. That's
1: right.
0: He proved it because he was the hands and feet of Jesus. So, what was it that set the Samaritan apart? Was it that he was a layman? That he was rich. That he was a Samaritan. What set him apart was simply this compassion. Think about I told him in Sunday school. One we always laugh about, and y'all seen the pictures, one of the pictures of the Cook family that we laugh at the most is of Matthew Cook in Pensacola Beach doing this. You know why we laugh about it? Because A, at that time he still actually looked like me, and his actions are exactly me. Kids look like their parents, and inevitably they act like their parents. Here you are, Mr. Big Shot Lawyer. You say that you're God's and that you're Heavenly Father. You know Him. Do you actually look like Him? What does Exodus 34, 6 tell us about God? He is a God that is rich in mercy. He's compassionate. That's the God we have. And if that's the kind of God we have, then guess what we, as His kids, ought to look like? Compassionate. How did Jesus look? He doesn't care if he's disturbing church service and everybody's not going to get out by 12 and the ham's going to burn in the oven. Somebody needs help. But you know what we do? We don't give a hill of beans that we've need to get. We we've got to get out of here by 12 and the ham is going to burn in the oven if we don't get out of here. I don't care if my brother really actually is dying on the inside and he says, oh yeah, everything's going great. We won't actually sit down with Him and figure out. This place is not, as it's been said, a museum to hang old saints on the wall. It's a hospital for sinners. And you know what they do at a hospital? They treat people and they get them better. That's right. Are we doing anything in our churches to get people better or are we just maintaining a religious system? And so look at, actually, the final character is the lawyer himself. What's he want to do? Justify himself. He recited the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4-5, every morning and every night. That was his lips. You know what his life was? A terrible tragedy. One pastor said it was neglect of neighbor sandwiched between pious declarations of his love for God. Turn to Exodus 23. I told y'all last week, this guy could quote verbatim all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And in Exodus 22:21, 21, it says to treat other people kindly as a sojourner because you were a sojourner yourself in Egypt. Jesus says the man is just that, a man. We could say he was a sojourner, wouldn't leaving him half dead in a ditch be considered wrong in a soul turner? Wouldn't loving him require don't just pass by, do something? Wouldn't loving him as yourself be exactly what the Samaritan did for him? Now Exodus 23, 4-5, this guy could quote this. Now listen to this. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Now, which is more important? People are animals in the grand scheme of things. Now, I know in our culture it's, pe- it's animals, but what is it? People. You know, here in America, where we save the trees and kill the babies, but... If you should return an enemy's ox or donkey, if you should help a man who hates you rescue his overburdened donkey, shouldn't you at least show love to a man lying half dead in a ditch by meeting real needs? I love what one person said. Listen to this. and I'm going to repeat it. In the end, we will be judged not by the creeds we hold, but by the life we live. In the end... This man would be judged not by what came out of his mouth, but what was proved by his heart and by his hands and his feet. What he should have done is thrown himself at Jesus' feet, said, Lord, I have never loved the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I can't even like the people I like, a little less people I don't like. Lord, I'm guilty. Please save me. And so look at the question. Or this, uh, the final thing, the exchange between the final exchange between the lawyer and Jesus. Look at verse thirty-six. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus, in his infamous manner, question with a question, the fifth and final question. You want to know who is my neighbor? Here's your story, and you're the chief actor in it. Now, which of these three do you think? Proved to be a neighbor. Because what he was used to is that other people would prove themselves a neighbor to him. Jesus is saying, you proved yourself a neighbor to others. Jesus is saying, it's your responsibility to be a neighbor first and foremost. And the proof is in the pudding. It was that case straight out of the gate. Listen to this. Do y'all know where Job fits in the Bible? It's right before Psalms, but you know where it should be? Slap dab in the middle of Genesis. This is what God said from the beginning through a man who we know was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Listen to this. Job in thirty-one sixteen and following says, If I have withheld anything that the poor desired or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel alone and the fatherless has not eaten of it, if I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering, if his body has not been blessed uh, if his body has not blessed me and if he is not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I've raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate, listen to this, verse 22 and 23, let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and my arm be broken from its socket. Mm. Wow. If I have not, as a man of God, shown people love and compassion and mercy in a real practical way, let my shoulder literally be dislocated out of my body and my arm be broken off from my body. He says, for I was in terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced His majesty. Now that was the case from the very straight out the gate of God's expectation. What do you think the expectation was to this lawyer? What do you think the expectation is for you and I? What does James say? Don't just tell your brother, hey, go be warmed. Go eat. And I hope you aren't cold and I hope you're no longer hungry. Are we guilty of neglect of neighbor sandwiched between pious declarations of our love for God? And so look at the answer. He says, the one who showed him mercy. You notice what he didn't say? The Samaritan. He probably choked on the word. It probably got right here and he started choking, needed the heimlich. You want proof of what this guy's heart really showed? Right there you see it. He so hates his neighbor, he can't even get the word out of his mouth. And then look at the command. Verse 37. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now is this works based righteousness? But here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, big boy, you want to be judged by the law? Fine, so be it. Go do it. Perfectly. Did Jesus get rid of the law? You want to live by it today? Live by it today. But I'm going to tell you, when you stand before a three-time holy God, your self-righteousness will be annihilated. There is no way any one of us in this room has any chance. What must a man do to be right before God? There ain't a thing you can do to be right before God other than to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your invitation right there before we ever even get to it. But then what Jesus is saying is, we Christians, we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. It's like Cassie was talking about Wednesday night. You don't just say, well, I love God and you sit around eating bonbons. That's not it. Yes, I love God and now I'm going to be sure that my hands and feet prove it because I'm going to go show practical love to someone. And so what Jesus says to the lawyer, He still says to us today. And so the teaching. Let me give you 12 things quickly. Number one, I've already said it, but it's easier to maintain a religious system than improve a neighborhood. And which is Crossway spending more time, talent, and treasure doing? Maintaining a religious system or improving a neighborhood? Well, I mean, we might drop right there and just go on have the invitation walk out. Number two, we must love others by meeting real needs, even if they bring it on themselves. Whether they brought it on themselves does not matter. They are real human beings created in God's image who are hurting and God put us here with the purpose to love them and take care of them and be His hands and feet. There is no other option. There's no plan B. Then number three, love is costly. In fact, it hurts and it inconveniences as this man found out. Number four, I already said it, but we will be judged not by the creeds we hold, but by the lives we live. Number five, hypocritical behavior stinks to high heaven. Get that one, it's a pun. We say something stinks to high heaven, hypocritical behavior stinks to God, amen? So does your life equal your lips? Do you say, well, I'm Christ, but your deeds don't show it? Number six, faith without works is what? D E A D, dead. Number seven, what should set us apart as followers of Christ? Compassion. And then number eight, don't take this solely as moral obligation. Please do not leave out of here and think, well, all Dr. Buffy said today is let me go do some more stuff so I can get a few more spiritual brownie points. Do you understand that I am no closer to the pearly gates by having been y'all's pastor for five years than I was before I was your pastor. I can't get closer. Somebody asked me, today, uh, we had this uh, new girl that we have float pool and so she was there and she was joking with them and telling them uh, she was creating her own reality. I said, Lord, you done drunk some of that uh, Kool-Aid. You know, I said, let me tell you my reality. My reality is that I am seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Now she's a Christian. I said, you done drunk some of that Joe Oldstein Kool-Aid. You are, you're seated in the heavenlies. I can't get any closer to Jesus by the stuff I do than I already am. And I can't make God love me any more by doing a bunch of stuff for Him than He already loves me. Many of us need to get that through our head, particularly those that are us that are leaders. Number nine, what Jesus said to the lawyer, he still says to us, go and do likewise. If it was true in the time of Job, it's true today. Number ten, love is an action word. Some of us need to take that and apply it to all of our relationships, our marriage, our kids. Well, honey, I love you, and I'm just going to sit over here and do nothing about it. That's not love. Number eleven, it's far more costly not to care and love our neighbor. You could say this story is about the high cost of caring, but who lost more? The Samaritan or the priest and the Levite? priest and the Levite. Mm -hmm. Who was the better steward of what God had given them? The Samaritan. Samaritan. And then number 12 is examine yourself. C.T. Studd, a Christian, he had a poem. Listen to how it ends. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We talked this week in experiencing God about eternity. How much longer do you think you got old Buffy Cook? I don't know. It might be 20 years. It might be 50. I hope if it's 50 I can still actually know my name. Amen? It might be two months I don't know but I'm gonna tell you I hope that the day that I take my final breath it's still working for my Lord because he deserves that and I've only got one life to give him so I'm closing weekly in my office I see folks that look really good on the outside and they literally are dying on the inside they're sick you put a cat scan up to them draw some blood do a heart cath, a mammogram, and it tells a different story. This man can tell you. He was walking around, just thought he was a little tired. White blood count, 99,000. He's got leukemia. Saw a gentleman, he's jetting all over the country. He's president of an insurance company. Came in and said, my belly's just been hurting a little bit for a month. Cancer all over his body. Oh, Joe comes in for a checkup, well, man, the EKG don't look right. Go to the heart doctor, get a heart cath, got a 95% widow maker. Or a screening mammogram and before you know it, you're getting breast biopsies and being told you've got cancer. You see, what's true physically is true spiritually. We like the priests and the Levites, oh man, we look good on the outside. We got on our church clothes, we got the right position. I'm a pastor. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a deacon. we got great genes. We're Christian by birth. We've been raised in church. We grew up in the South. We've got the perfect descriptions. I'm Baptist, and yeah, I'm even Southern Baptist. And listen to this. I think it's up on the screen. Hebrews 4. You take the CAT scan of God's Word, and you apply it to us, and what does it say? You know what it does? It divides down to the marrow. Jesus doesn't need a CAT scan. He already knows. And so do you, really. Because love for God, you know what it inevitably produces? Love for people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it divides down and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then you know what? No creature is hidden from His sight. All are naked and exposed. eyes of Him, to whom we must give account. When you stand before the Lord, do you really want to be like this lawyer and be someone and say, I really did not love my neighbor. I pray that the CAT scan of this parable of God's Word will drive each and every one of us to self-examine ourselves and to strive to love our neighbor as ourselves all the days of our lives. And remember, brothers and sisters, that judgment starts with the house of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you so much for your many blessings. Father, we just thank you for the gift of worship that you've given us thank you for the gift of of your word father we just again praise you that we can hold a copy of it in our hands and father we can open it up and digest it father thank you that we can leave out of here today and i don't care if it's two minutes to lunch time or whatever father we may be thinking we're physically starving we ought to leave out of here spiritually just full to the brim and thank you that we have done that father thank you that you have given us the spiritual food that will help us to get through this week Father, we pray that you would just give us eyes to see someone this week that, Father, we could then speak a word that would be your truth and your Holy Spirit would go before us and convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Father, I know that there are people in here uh, today that will have contact with a lost person this week. There's already appointments set, but there's already appointments that you have set we don't know about. And so, Father, I pray, just help us to slow down and take the time to share the gospel of Christ. Father help us each and every one of us. To just love you deeper. And Father to love our neighbor as yourself And to show practical love and compassion. Just like our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. When he walked this earth. We pray as we come to this time of imitation That you would bless it. For it's in Christ's wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so as far as an imitation, You know this man in the parable is really a picture of us. You know, Buffy Cook, back in the summer of 2001, I was the walking dead. I was walking around with spiritually, I was dead. I was like that man laying over there in the ditch, and I needed Jesus to come and show compassion to me and reach down and save me. And that's what some of you in here need today. And So the Bible says that if you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's not a question mark. You will be. And so if you've never called on the name of the Lord for Him to save you, come today and do that. David pointed out that the invitation time is not just for lost folks. Some of us in here are like that man laying half dead in the ditch because we ourselves have beaten ourselves to a bloody pulp over stuff that we have done, past decisions, we've let the devil beat us down until we're bloodied and half dead, we've let the world beat us down. I don't know what's going on in your life but many of us that's the case. And you just need to come to the altar today for healing. Or maybe you know somebody that's like that, that's struggling. And you want to come, the Lord's brought them to your mind, you just want to come and lay them on the altar today. Whatever it is as we sing, listen to the Lord and respond. Let's stand. Let's stand, page
2: 305. I still will follow No none go with me I still will follow No none go with me I still will follow No turning back No turning back My cross I'll carry Till I see Jesus My cross I'll carry I'll carry till I see Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before before